Great, so we're going to continue our um, journey through Luke's Gospel. We're up to Luke chapter 3, if you want to uh, find that in your Bibles. And um, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to have a a bit of a think this morning about John the Baptist. And uh, some really interesting stuff in Luke chapter 3 about him. Um, John, as you know, uh, was conceived uh, prophetically. Um, a, a little before Jesus was born a little before Jesus and um, had a very significant role to play in uh, announcing the arrival of Jesus he, he was the voice crying in the wilderness and uh, this morning I, I'm going to try and help us to understand a little bit more about that what, what that means and um, also to see how we should be engaging because if we are you know, we're looking at this under the general heading of make life the mission the objective here is for to um, for Let's start that line again. Yes, anybody got an interpretation? Okay. The, our objective here is to uh, understand what Luke is teaching us through his gospel that needs to be applied in our own lives. In other words, when Luke writes, he's not just recording history, he's not just writing uh, theology, but he's actually challenging us to follow the example of the people that he talks about in his gospel and then later on in Acts. We are called to be like them. We are called to be primarily like Jesus and to understand who he is, to understand his attitudes and all of that sort of stuff, and to be like him. But we have some really great models, uh, other people in the New Testament, who we can look to to find a lead in certain areas, and John the Baptist is certainly one of those. So let's kick off Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor over Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the regions of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. You might wonder, um, and during the reign of priest, uh, the, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, you might wonder why Luke puts all of that stuff in there. Um, well, it's not entirely relevant to the story, apart from Herod, of course, who is uh, very much a part of the story. But Luke puts those in because it actually gives us a very clear historical reference in terms of the time. Because then you can refer to the history uh, books and you know, all the records and things. You can actually place this in time because of what Luke says here. When we find all of these people in place you know, in history, that's where this slots in. Yeah, so that's actually, whilst it might not benefit us theologically, it does help us to understand some of the history and place some of these things. Um, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's not very nice, really, is it? You know, it's, it's a hot, dusty day. You make the trek all the way down to the Jordan because that's where John's baptizing. And when you get there, you get greeted with, you brood of vipers. That's John. You've got to love it. <clears throat> where were we? 
Yes. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? That's a very good question. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever who has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached the good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them, that he locked John in prison. Okay. Good stuff. You might have a, an image of John the Baptist that you got from a, um, a movie or one of these um, you know, series on the life of Jesus. I have one. I always see John the Baptist as a, a very hairy bloke wearing a, you know, a camel skin and eating locusts and honey and kind of you know, being a little bit weird. Because he was a prophet, and most prophets are a little bit weird. And um, you actually wouldn't be too far from the truth. John was a, a, a little bit of a recluse and um, was waiting for that time when it was his time to put in an appearance and do the thing that God had created him for. So it says in verse 2, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So John is found in the wilderness. Uh, What was he doing in the wilderness? Well, I've already said he was a little bit of a recluse. But actually, um, it's part of the prophetic nature sometimes to actually escape from all kinds of distractions and get to a place where you can actually connect properly with God and hear the voice of God. And this certainly worked for John, that John, as he's in the wilderness... um, receives the word of God, the word of God that propels him into the ministry that God had been preparing him for and gives him that uh, sense of conviction to get out there and get on with it. Are you with me? Um, We often complain about being in the wilderness. We often complain about being in a dry place, in a barren place. We think of those things negatively. We think of them as, you know, the place we end up if we've not been behaving ourselves. You know, we think of them as a place of, of punishment sometimes or of torment or you know, somehow we have become 
disconnected from God and we describe ourselves as being a little bit in the wilderness. But actually, in the New Testament, the wilderness is quite a positive place. For John the Baptist, it's the place where he can uh, live with a clear head without any distractions and be in the place where when God speaks, he can hear clearly the word of God and then start to pursue it. In in John um, chapter 4, we'll, we'll be getting to that in a couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness so he can do battle with the devil. Um, and again, you can look at that positively or negatively. To me, it seems to be a great positive that actually Jesus, having been filled with the Spirit at his baptism, goes out into the wilderness then in the power of the Spirit to do battle. And having done battle in the wilderness and come out triumphant, it then says of him that he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. It seems to me that actually the wilderness can be a very positive place for us if we want to treat it as a positive place. We can either be down about it and say, you know, I, I'm not really, it just all feels a bit dry, it just all feels a bit empty, um, you know, it doesn't feel very fruitful here, it feels a bit barren. We could be down about it, or we can take that as an opportunity to look for God and to engage with God and see what it is he wants to say to us and what he wants to do in our lives. You know, when we're, when we're not in the wilderness, when we're wherever else it is we are, you know, when we're in the metropolis or where, wherever it is that we find ourselves, with the, when, you know, when we're not in the wilderness, um, it's very easy the, the things, for the things around us to crowd into our heads, to crowd into our thinking, you know, for all of those other voices to be uh, whispering in our ears. It's very easy to get disconnected from God. It's very easy not to hear what God is saying. It's very easy to be distracted from the purposes of God because there are so many other things that are getting put in front of us and wanting our attention and wanting to draw us away from God's purposes. It's very easy for that to happen. And, and uh, you know, some, sometimes the, let's call it the metropolis for want of another word, okay, the metropolis can be much more damaging and uh, much more difficult for us than actually being in the wilderness. Because the wilderness, there's nothing. In the wilderness, the only thing that we can do really is look for God and listen for his voice. Whereas in the metropolis, there is so much else going on that we can be distracted and actually be drawn away from the purposes of God. So the wilderness actually seems to me to be quite a positive place. And certainly it was positive for John the Baptist because the word of God came to him and brought great conviction with it. It's that word that... Um, that uh, propels John from that place of obscurity straight into the limelight where he is being the herald for Jesus, where he is being the announcer, the one who goes before, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. It's that word of God that takes him from that uh, out-of-the-way place, that desert place, right into the mainstream of things and, uh, and begins to release him into what God created him for. That's actually a, a good thing, isn't it? Let me just say, isn't it? Yes, okay. Um, let me just say something about, for, you know, for the theologians amongst us, um, about the word of God here. The Greek word used there is the, is the word rima. The Greek word rima um, means an utterance uh, by implication, a matter or topic, especially of narration, command or dispute. In other words, it's, it's a word that gives you direction. Now, there's, there is debate 
uh, among scholars about because there's another word that is translated word and that's the word logos and so there's all these big debates theologically which some of you might have come across about you know logos is this kind of word logos is the written word okay so so the scriptures would be logos that's why a lot of christian bookshops are called logos because you know that the the, um, the greek word logos means the written word and that the greek word rima means the active word it's the spoken word it's the directional word it kind of all falls apart when you start reading john's gospel because jesus uh, john describes jesus as the word of god and the word that he uses is logos and you know jesus is not a written word jesus is not a piece of parchment okay he's the active living uh you know son of god word of god so um it seems to me that the two words are interchangeable so if you if you're kind of a little bit of you know if you like to get technical with the greek and stuff don't get hung up on trying to separate those things out because they don't really separate actually it seems to me that the in the new testament those words get used interchangeably it means a communication it means that god is speaking you know logos or rima it's a communication it's direction it's information it's it's uh, encouragement it's all of those things and both words pretty much have the same effect when you read them in context and in in this context this rima this this word of god is a communication from the father into john the baptist's spirit into his heart into his mind that um, propels him into what god wants from him and if that's all you're going to get from a wilderness experience that's worth having isn't it that that going through the mill a bit that going through the dry times that feeling a little bit out on a limb feeling a little bit in a backwater that if you take that time to listen out for the voice of god if you take that time to connect with god you know you should be expecting god to speak in such a way that it propels you into his purposes and brings you out of the wilderness and if you're still floundering around in the wilderness six months later it's probably because you're not listening it's probably because you're not paying attention to what god is saying yes okay then it tells us that john was the one who was to prepare the way at verse three he went into all the region around the jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Those are some pretty amazing words, aren't they? At least they are if we understand them now john the baptist is the one who is called out to prepare the way he's the one who is called out and given that message of uh, repentance calling people to repentance and faith and telling them that jesus is coming prepare a way because the lord is coming because the christ the messiah is coming and um, he is if you like the herald for jesus he is the one making the announcements and if i can just indulge for a moment in the common language when we want to associate um, ourselves with with other people at the moment um, are you ready je suis jean le baptiste when we want to associate ourselves these days with other people and things that are going on it's that kind of you know what what was the what was the cartoonist's name what was it 
Charlie. That was it, Je suis Charlie. People were saying, that's us. We're associating with this. We are a part of whatever that is. Well, je suis Jean le Baptiste. I am a part of this. I, I am with John the Baptist. I too am a herald of Jesus. I too go before him and announce that he is coming. I too uh, make a way for him to come so that he can come and do all the things that he wants to do. And guess what? You are called to be the same. Now my French starts to fall apart a little bit now, but to a Jean le Baptiste. Was that right? Anybody who knows French? Was it close enough? Okay, I got my, my uh, genders and tenses right. Yes, okay. You also are included in this. You also are called to make a way. You know, um, we'll be visiting this in a few weeks for sure because it's nearly Christmas, but you know, the people in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, and the light is coming. And the role that you and I play in all of this is that we are the heralds. We go ahead and say to people, he is coming. We go ahead and say, Jesus is coming. We go ahead and we say, salvation is coming. We go ahead and we say, healing is coming. And deliverance is coming. We walk ahead of him and we, we announce the king. We announce his arrival. We announce the imminence of the, of the kingdom of God and all that that entails. And it's our role to do that it's our role to prepare a way for Jesus now we do that in all sorts of different ways and sometimes it's not about words sometimes you know I, I love the, the practical nature of what John says when people come to him we'll look at that in a, in a moment but when people come to him and say you know we, we get the message now what should we do he doesn't then say go away into the wilderness and pray for the next 20 years okay what he says is some very practical things you know if you've got two coats give one away if you've got food and somebody's hungry give them some food share it you know if you're a tax collector don't take more than you're supposed to take if you're a soldier you know don't don't push your weight around don't you know knock people about just because you can it's very practical and so we as the heralds of the king are not just called to make a proclamation with our mouths but we're called to make a proclamation with our lives a practical proclamation of, of being kind of helping people of doing things that represent Jesus are you with me? and that's how we make a way you know um, the cafe is not just about a great cup of coffee and a cheap lunch I'm saying a cheap lunch, it's a great lunch, it's just that it doesn't cost much, you know. It's about making a way. It gives us an opportunity to serve people and to get alongside people and to talk to people and start to make a way for Jesus to come in. You know, the food bank is not just about helping people out who are in a time of crisis, it's about making a way. It's about an act of kindness that helps somebody in a difficult situation that gives us an opportunity that starts to build a bridge that Jesus can walk across it's about preparing a way all of the stuff that we do here is about preparing a way what I'm doing with you this morning is preparing a way because for many of us we have failed to grasp the importance of this stuff 
for many of us, this is not in my notes, but just, you know, hang with me here because I'm just, something prophetic has just come upon me. You know, you, many of us really have failed to grasp the incredible importance and significance of what we do and of who we are. That God has called us out, separated us out as the church, not that we should remain separated, but that as the church we should grow and become strong together so that we then go out and do the works of Jesus. So that many, 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 many more people will have their lives touched by the power of the gospel and by the word of God. And we each have a role to play in that. And many of us still don't get it. I would really like this Christmas to be different. When we give you some invitations to hand out for the carol service, I'd really like you to be inviting people. I'd really like it not to be the same old faces. Although I'm really happy to see the same old faces, okay, I'm really happy that they come. I'm really happy that you come. <laughs> okay. Not that you have old faces. Paul Jackson's is a little bit old, but not that you have old faces. But I would like to see some new faces. And I'd like to see them brought by you. Actually, I'd like to see that every Sunday, if I'm honest. Not just, you know, the, the big days like the carol service and stuff. And we can only really effectively do that if we are making a way. You know, to... Uh, and this is, this is kind of common sense if you, when, you, when you hear it, but you don't always think about it when you're engaging with these things. If you haven't talked to, any, to, to a person about God or about anything to do with church, uh, you know, for the whole year, and then the week before the carol service, you say, would you like to come to a carol service? There's a pretty good chance they're going to say no. Because you've not prepared a way. You've not made a way. You know? Uh, and, you know, we need to get working on this now. You need to be praying about who you're going to invite. You need to be opening up a conversation. And there's some good conversations to be had. Did you know, I don't know whether you've clocked this yet, but the Anglican Church, God bless them, have just released a video about prayer. It's a 60-second video. It's all over YouTube. It's all over Facebook. And it's basically people praying the Lord's Prayer. They pray a line each, and it starts off with Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And it's got all sorts. It's got a farmer. Um, it's got a, some guy lifting weights who stops to pray the next line of the prayer. It's, it's a great little 60-second video. Okay? They produced this video so that um, it would be shown in cinemas... And they were negotiating with one of the advertising companies that deals with the three biggest cinema chains in the UK, uh, does their advertising, you know, their, for their on-screen advertising and stuff. Um, and uh, they wanted it shown at the beginning of the Star Wars movie. You know, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. It's likely to be the biggest movie of the year. It comes out sometime around the end of this month or early next month, I think. And their plan was, you know, to pay for it to be shown at the beginning of the Star Wars movie except the company that is responsible for all of this advertising has refused to do it on the grounds that it might offend people 
because it's the Lord's Prayer. You know, you Christians, you're forever offending people. Now, listen, that's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. But listen, what a great talking point. I mean, the BBC are onto it. It's been on the news. It's, you know, some of you are looking completely bemused. You've missed it, obviously. But it's, it's all over the internet. It's the BBC reports about it, all sorts of stuff. People are, are having all sorts of debates about whether, you know, religion should be seen in our cinemas. I mean, it's okay to show sex and violence and, and horror and, you know, all of that sort of stuff on the screens, but it's not okay to have the Lord's Prayer. There's big debates going on. There's lots of conversations going on. What an excellent opportunity for us to prepare a way. It starts with the question, what do you think about that? And listen, it doesn't matter whether they agree or disagree. Because what you've done is open up a conversation about Jesus that you wouldn't have had with them had you not asked the question. And agreeing and disagreeing is not the point. The point is preparing a way. The point is getting people on a journey, uh, getting people engaged in a conversation that starts to draw them towards Jesus. And listen, just from my own experience, most of those conversations start negatively. They do. They start with people saying, oh, you know, you Christians, you don't know what you're on about. You're deluded. You know, they start like that. And they finish up with, what time did you say your church meets on a Sunday? Hello? Now, the difference between those two comments might be a couple of weeks or it might be a couple of years. But those, it doesn't happen at all if you don't start the conversation. Are you with me? And we are all called to prepare the way. We are all called to make a way for Jesus. And I want to tell you, it, it's, I love that stuff in Isaiah because actually what, what Isaiah is doing for us is he's leveling the playing field. He's saying it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what sort of person you are. It doesn't matter what sort of background you come from. It doesn't matter whether you think you're good or bad or indifferent. Actually, everything gets leveled as Jesus comes. Because we all stand before him as human beings. We all stand before him as sinners. He's not bothered about how much money people have got or how much political clout they've got or whether they're good looking or not. He's not bothered about any of those things. He's bothered about their eternal future because he loves them. And all that stuff about, you know, laying the mountains low and filling up the valleys, it's about, you know, rich people being humbled, poor people being lifted up, that we literally do see ahead of us a level playing field where everybody is equally valued and everybody is equally worthy of hearing the message that we have. And so we shouldn't exclude anybody. So it doesn't matter whether, you know, it's the postman or the milkman or whether it's your boss at work or, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the poor or the wealthy. It doesn't matter who it is. Because I can tell you with an absolute certainty that whoever it is, Jesus loves them. And he has a plan for them. And he wants to get to know them. He wants them to know his love for them. And you and I are the introduction service. Hello? It's a strange thought, really. Isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the number of, I don't know about you, but every time I go on Facebook, and I don't know why they pick on me, you know, but 
there seem to be, you know, you know they have these targeted adverts now. So, so when you're on there, they look at comments that other people have put on your page. And because of the comments that are put on your page, they think you must be interested in those things. And so the adverts that you get are targeted to that. It's very clever. I keep getting dating sites. What's that all about? Well, every, every time I log on, there's like half a dozen adverts for dating sites. The, the, for some reason, the comments you guys put on my page have made Facebook think that I'm a lonely single guy who needs a dating site. <laughs> but there are millions of dating... I mean, you know, literally millions of dating sites. Why? Because people are awkward about introductions. People are, you know, struggle to figure out how to meet each other. And I understand the challenges of that, that it's not easy. But listen, the Holy Spirit will help you. If you take the first step, the Holy Spirit will help you. If you pray about this before you try and launch into the conversation, God will be there for you. Jesus said that, you know, he sends the Holy Spirit so that you can be his witness. And he says that when you open your mouth, he'll put the words in it. So if you engage with God before you engage with man, it's going to be a lot easier. And God will help you to make the introduction. And actually, the introduction for you guys is a soft sell. I'll do the hard sell. You do the soft sell. All you've got to do is get them here. And I'll tell them the truth. Are you with me? And we've been doing this a few years now. Most of us have been on this journey together for over 11 years. It seems like five minutes, doesn't it? And uh, to my knowledge, I've only ever offended one person in those 11 years from things that I've said standing up here. That's not bad going, isn't it? Maybe I'm doing my job wrong. Maybe it should be more. But you know that I preach the truth. You know that I won't hold back from it, but you know that I won't offend people. So you've no excuse, really, have you? It's the call of God on all of our lives. Je suis Jean le Baptiste. Then, uh, John, let me just do this very quickly in the few minutes we've got left. John um, makes some interesting comments. Uh, about our standing with God. And uh, this is actually, if, if you consider his audience, it's enormous. He says, um, with the crowds that came out to see him, you brood of vipers, what a great opening. <laughs> Who preaches like that? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And John lays it out for us there that actually we all do stand on a level playing field. You cannot claim your heritage as a right to know God or a right to get into heaven. You cannot claim your good works as a right to get into heaven. In fact, the only right that we have to get into heaven is the blood of Jesus. And we only have that if we've put our faith in him. And John, just, just with one sweep of the brush there, he says, you guys are forever on about Abraham. You guys think that because you're a descendant of Abraham, it's all cut and dry and you're okay and you don't need to think about this. But then John, all of a sudden, he makes it personal. 
He says, you see these rocks? Well, God could make children of Abraham out of these rocks if he wanted to do. It's nothing about who you are related to. This is personal. This is down to you and God. And that's where the interaction needs to take place. It doesn't matter what your relatives have done or what your relatives are like or who they are. It doesn't matter the same with your neighbors, whoever they are, what they do. It doesn't matter about your friends. It doesn't matter what they've done or where they're at. This is personal. This is between you and God. That you are a sinner. If you don't think you're a sinner, come and see me afterwards. I guarantee you it'll take me less than two minutes to find some sin in your life if you're honest with me. You are a sinner. And the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is death. Quite clear about it. But the free gift of God is eternal life. How does that happen? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by God's grace that you are saved. Um, uh, for it's, What is it? It's by God's grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. You as an individual need to come to God and put your faith in Jesus. And as you do that, you are saved forever. But it's personal. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can do that for your friends at work. They have to do it for themselves. Nobody else can do that for the members of your family that don't know Jesus. They have to do that for themselves. And we have to make the introduction so that they can find themselves in a place where they can do that. Are you with me? And then um, John talks about bearing fruit. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a little bit, you know, in your face, isn't it? But actually, John is wanting us to know that actually if we are going to be godly, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, there should be something displayed in our life that shows the fruits of repentance. Your salvation is free. You cannot earn it or deserve it. It's a grace gift from God. Your Christianity comes with a price tag. Because there are things that are expected of you if you are going to call yourself a follower of Jesus. And the challenge that John the Baptist lays before us is this, if I can put it into modern language. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you just a churchgoer? Are you somebody who, you know, likes the, the, the fun, the pleasure, the whatever it is of being together, the fulfillment of being together? Are you somebody who just likes to think that you're a good person because you are saved and you're connected with the church? Or are you actually a Christ follower? Because the people who were first called Christians were the Christians at Antioch and they were called Christians because they were Christ followers. Because in their lives you could see the fruit of their repentance. In their lives, you, there was something measurable that showed that they were following Jesus. The word Christian means little Christ. In other words, we become just like him. People thought that John the Baptist might be the Messiah. They thought he might be the Christ. Why did they think that? 
because there was something clearly observable in him in the way he spoke and in the things that he did that made them question because they hadn't found the Messiah yet is this him is this the one because this guy talks like a man sent from God this guy does things like a man sent from God this guy could be the Messiah this guy could be the one Now, whilst it's unlikely that people will ever say that about you and me, it would be good if people were saying things about us that reflected our faith. The people noticed something and it gave rise to a comment, you know. I I remember, this is one that always sticks with me. Years ago, um, some of you you will remember Vince Crook, who used to own the Crooked Club in town, and um, we built up quite a relationship with him. And um, one evening in his club, we're just—he's leaning one side of the bar, I'm leaning the other side of the bar. It's like it was like a, a you know a sketch, a comedy sketch. The two of us leaning on the bar, um, and in the in the middle of the conversation, he just stopped and he said, "You know, Dave, there's something about you." He said, "You just—he said, I don't know what it is." He said, "But you just seem to glow." Now I want you to know, <laughs> if I glow, it's very little to do with me. Okay, but everything to do with Jesus. But what caused, what was he seeing? What caused that to happen was that I was doing something that I should have been doing. That actually I was being the herald. That I was talking to him about Jesus. That I was being what I should have been to him as a Christian to somebody who isn't yet a Christian. And as that interaction was taking place, he saw something in me. What was he seeing? He was seeing the Spirit of God. He was seeing the Spirit of Jesus. And as he looked at that through his spiritual eyes, he saw a glow. Hello? I want to tell you, you can all glow. It's not difficult. You just have to let the Holy Spirit work through you and open up the conversation. You know, if we are good Christ followers and more than just churchgoers there should be something in our lives which is measurable that shows that there should be some fruit of that that can be seen and if there isn't you've got to ask yourself the question what am I doing here please don't leave you've got to ask yourself the question what am I doing here because the church is the answer to the problems of the world That's, that's God's design. That's his purpose. That's the way it's supposed to be. And the church, you know, is not the building. It's the people. You and I are God's plan to deal with the problems of the world. The politicians aren't. The generals aren't. Local authority isn't. Social services isn't. The police force isn't. They are not the solution to the problems of the world. They're just, if you like, the caretakers who try and keep things on an even keel while the solution raises its head. And that, brothers and sisters, (laughs) is you and me. That our lives should display fruit in keeping with repentance that there should be something measurable in our lives that shows that we are followers of Jesus that causes people to take note are you with me and it's listen I know 
that's a massive challenge. I've been on this journey for, I forget now, what is it, 42, 43 years. It doesn't get any easier. It's just as massive now as it was 40 years ago. But we are the ones who are called to it and we should be the ones rising up to it. And if we don't, the world will not change. You and I are called as the heralds of Jesus to prepare a way, to show people something different, to tell them something different, and to prepare a bridge, to build a bridge between us and them that Jesus can walk over and see their lives changed forever. That's the call. That's the challenge. Je suis Jean le Baptiste. Anybody else? It's a bit like, I am Spartacus. <laughs> I was sat, I'll just, let me close with this story because it was hilarious. I'm sat in a, in a national AOG meeting with um, area leadership teams and what have you and John Partington is there and all the national leadership team are there and all these important people are there and swanning around and, and um, John, uh, John Partington was saying something about, you know, we can only do this if we do this together and unity and, you know, we should think of ourselves as one. And just as he said that, without thinking, right, I'm sitting there and I go, I am Spartacus. <laughs> and the whole place erupted with laughter and he, and he had to start again because it just, it kind of, I had to apologize. But, you know, je suis le Jean le Baptiste. For my next door neighbors, for my next door neighbors, I am Jesus. Because if they're going to see him, they're going to see him in me. Yes? Let's stand, because I want to pray for you, and then we can go and get some coffee. Jesus, I know that in, in some ways um, we've had a bit of a laugh about these things. That's not that we make light of them because we understand that these things are serious, that these things are life and death. And I pray this morning that you would just help us, that you would give us real revelation in our spirits, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would know that you have called us for a purpose that you have filled us with your spirit for a purpose and that we are John the Baptist, that we are those who will uh, make a way, prepare a way for Jesus, for the living God to come. And I pray that you would help us firstly to know that we are called, but secondly to know how to move in that calling, how to see that calling out worked in our lives so that we touch the lives of those around us. I pray that you would help us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us afresh, that you would give us everything we need, that you would teach us to rely on you so that you can put the words in our mouths, so that you can um, tell us what to do and we would know how to serve the people around us and build a bridge for Jesus to walk over. I pray that you would help us with that that we would be Christ followers and not just churchgoers.